Welcome back yet again to Who is the Man of the Shroud, our podcast series that explores the Shroud of Turin, its many mysteries and questions, and all of the ways in which it challenges us to find meaning. This is Father Peter Mangum coming to you from the Cathedral of St. John Berkman's. In previous episodes, Dr. White and I have shared with listeners our relationship with the American Confraternity of the Holy Shroud and our training in Colorado Springs at the renowned Turin Shroud Center of Colorado with Dr. John Jackson, which, together with our other credentials, led to our being given access to the Vatican Secret Archives this past spring to review specific 13th century documents which we believe might shed some light on the Shroud's history. We're excited this week to be able to share with our listeners the thesis of a forthcoming publication centered on a specific letter of Pope Innocent III dated November 1204. One of the observations we have made before in reviewing topics related to history has been the limitations and challenges we face by the very nature of words. For instance, we pointed out that any historical records prior to the 16th century are not going to refer to the cloth as the name we know it by, the Shroud of Turin, for that name was not applied until the relic was moved to the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Turin, Italy, in 1578. Yet we tend to examine historical documents with familiar phraseology in mind. This challenge also led us to conclude that, while our current understanding of language limits us, so does any previous historical interpretation of that language. We believe the record has to be examined in full light of our limitations and biases. To that end, we speak directly to a certain papal letter and how it might inform us about what we call today the Shroud of Turin. This is Dr. Cheryl White from LSU Shreveport again, and Father Peter is exactly right. I cannot emphasize enough that sometimes the existing historical record needs to be, in fact, demands to be, re-examined. And he is correct that words matter as much as their context. Something that often happens in the discipline of history is that once specific records are interpreted in a certain way, that original signature of meaning, if you will, is transferred through all ensuing secondary accounts. To reassess potential meaning requires going back to the original primary source, removing the blinders imposed by any original interpretation, and looking at the document anew. Such is the case with a letter from Pope Innocent III, written in November 1204, to the bishops, abbots, and other clergy with the crusading army at Constantinople. The Pope wrote this letter not knowing an important fact that we, of course, do know. By the date of its writing, the city had already been sacked by Western crusaders, and any hope of restoring relations between Eastern and Western Christianity was lost. Pope Innocent III did not yet know any of this sad news, however, and he wrote this quite hopeful letter as a discourse on the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, recounting the discovery of the empty tomb by the apostles Peter and John. What might otherwise be seen simply as a pastoral homily written to clergy has some important contextual clues that Shroud scholars need to explore more fully. The letter uses the scriptural passage as a way of explaining the theological differences between East and West that must be reconciled in wake of the false news, but which the Pope believes, that Constantinople has been peacefully restored to unity with Rome. 
This reunification, he says, requires a full shared understanding of the profound mysteries of Christ revealed to the apostles. Peter understood the full mystery of Christ's humanity and divinity, Pope Innocent wrote, because he entered the tomb. John did not enter the tomb, but looked inside. Peter took the fullness of this truth to the apostolic see of Rome. John went to the east, but because John had not entered the tomb, the mysteries of Christ's humanity and divinity were known but to a few there. Pope Innocent III uses entering the tomb as a literary device for explaining the differences in the understanding of these great Christological mysteries. If the West had the full apostolic witness of Peter, how did the East understand with John's less-than-complete encounter inside the empty tomb? Importantly, this observation by the Pope immediately follows, quote, By the burial cloth that wrapped the body of Jesus, the mystery of his humanity is marked. By the sudarium that wrapped his head, the mystery of his divinity is made known, end quote. Is the Pope simply referring to the objects Peter saw in the tomb that John did not? Is this merely explanation for why linen corporals were to be used on altars, as explained in the 19th century seminary texts, the only citations for this letter, by the way? Or is Pope Innocent III referring to specific objects he knows to exist still? Are there clues in the very specific Latin verb choice he uses to describe the burial cloth, translated as, quote, marked, designed, designated, end quote, all of which carry visual connotations. Viewing this in its full context is enlightening, and as Father Peter said, is a subject of a forthcoming publication. Because the medieval Latin context is so important, we sought expert translation assistance through Notre Dame University. There is just so much more I want to say about this. Well, we know it's far too much to cover in a single podcast, but as Dr. White has pointed out, the letter, along with others in a series of communications from Pope Innocent III, suggests something intriguing about what he most likely knew to exist and where it was. Words do indeed matter. And it occurs to me that a whole area of shroud study should be focused on these linguistic clues. Word choices and their context can illuminate so much of our knowledge if we encourage this kind of ongoing study. For instance, back in podcast number seven, before our visit to the Vatican Secret Archives, we examined a specific passage from St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians, its historical and linguistic meaning. Knowing that St. Peter had visited Galatia, St. Paul wrote to them, clearly believing that they were turning away from the Christian faith. In the third chapter, verse 1, St. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? It is, again, the word choice that demands study. For the English word portrayed derives from a specific Greek verb that means a visual depiction. To what could St. Paul be referring? As we approach in just two days the Feast of St. Jerome, the great doctor who gave us the Latin translation of sacred scripture that Pope Innocent III directly references, it seems appropriate that we ask these type of language questions. Are both St. Paul and Pope Innocent III using the linguistic, literary, and historical contexts in their times to speak to us about the Shroud? Obviously, we'll be sharing a lot more about these ideas in the future by means of our publication. 
In two weeks, the Cathedral of St. John Berkman's here in Shreveport, Louisiana, will be hosting a series of very special events commemorating the 40th anniversary of the Shroud of Turin Research Project in 1978. And as you know, we will be joined by original team members, nuclear physicist Dr. John Jackson and photographer Barry Schwartz, along with Dr. Jackson's wife, Rebecca and Shroud scholar and presenter Russ Brialt from Atlanta. We will spend three days examining this burial cloth of our Lord and this important milestone of its most in-depth study to date. All information can be found on the website sjbcathedral.org or on our Facebook page. Dr. White, the saint I mentioned a moment ago, St. Jerome, is the one who stated, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. As a church, we rely on the revelation we have received from our Lord as we read in sacred scripture, and we are eternally grateful for the living and tender love for sacred scripture that the priest, St. Jerome, had, to use words found in the collect of his mass. Indeed, we pray to God that we, his people, may be ever more fruitfully nourished by his word and find in it the font of life. And may we never be likened to those foolish Galatians mentioned in sacred scripture, because before our eyes, Jesus Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified by means of the shroud, that strip of linen cloth, 14 and a half feet in length, that bears the mysterious image of a man, approximately 5 foot 10, the most studied object in all of history from every single academic discipline, physics, medicine, forensics, botany, hematology, history, as well as art, photography, and other imaging, the most studied and most fascinating object known to exist, which pushes the limits of the human imagination, our capacity for knowledge, and invites all of us to deeper inquiry and reflection. Is it indeed a holy face, the holy face of our Lord? We cannot tire of praying words we find yet again in sacred scripture from Psalm 66, Illumina Domine Vultum Tum Supernos. May, O Lord, the light of your countenance shine upon us. (laughs) 